This podcast is brought to you by the Institute for Excellence in Writing. IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training students to become better listeners, speakers, readers, writers, and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their 100% lifetime money-back guarantee, visit IEW.com slash start. Again, that's IEW.com slash start. Hello and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern and this being The Mason Jar, I am joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? It's going very well. So we are here once again to talk um, about a question that was sent to us by a listener. Um, And I suspect, well, I think most of the questions that we get are probably probably fairly common. Um, Some of them are a little more specific, like about poetry or grammar, you know, where people have very specific concerns about how to teach this or include it in their school life. But I think this one is probably something that, while not as specific to curriculum, say, curricula, it is still going to be pretty universal to most people, at least during some seasons. And that is how to be faithful without being frantic or fear-driven. So we had a question that come in, came in and the person says, I often fight fear of failure, not giving my kids what they, you know, that I'm not going to give my kids what they need, you know, and so forth, um, which is compounded by the fact, and this particular person says that this person, this person says her oldest son is dyslexic. So that makes it reading difficult. And so then that creates more fear and anxiety in her that she's not going to give him what he needs. So she says, you know, Talks to a lot of other people. Seems like a normal problem. So she wants to know if you can address some of the ways to fight this mental and emotional battle well. How can we guard ourselves to make sure we're really doing a good job ed- educating our children while not living in a constant state of self-assessment and condemnation? Mm-hmm. So, you know, simple question. <laughs> you know, yeah. nothing, nothing to... This will be an easy one for you. Yeah, we'll just bat this round. <laughs> Would, would witty, you agree though that this witty is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah would you agree though that this is probably one that all homeschool moms deal with yeah as i definitely think this is at the heart mom, i don't know for sure yeah i think it's definitely at the heart of what a homeschool mom faces every day um, um am i doing enough um am am i am i educating my children and um because it's a constant state of discouragement between what we plan to do, what we imagine ourselves doing, and what actually um, happens when, you know, the day gets going. <laughs> so, so we, yeah. and also I think it's our deep love for our children. So yeah. we have a child, a, a dyslexic child or a child with some sort of learning um, impediment or, or, or challenge. And we we feel it so deeply in our heart that um, it, it can cause us to have a lot of insecurity about what we're doing. Yeah, we don't want to let them down. Yeah, yeah. Of course, this doesn't sound very unique to just homeschoolers, right? I mean, to just you know, to as you know, a parent, no. Yeah, parent, I mean, or even in the in the classroom, we're all discouraged by what we plan to do and didn't get done, or the students in, in our classrooms that we've been you know, given who are having some kind of challenges or something like, you know, I think it just makes me realize I can, I can, this can kind of 
resonates with me even not as a homeschooling mom. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I think we have we imagine there's a place where this isn't going on. We mm. imagine yeah. that there's this perfect school where everything yeah, goes classroom. You know, each day is planned and each day fulfills its purpose. And at the end of the day, nothing went wrong and everybody's learning <laughs> and that just doesn't exist. Um, I, I've watched, uh, you know, I am heavily involved with a, with a local um, Charlotte Mason tutorial and I've watched, you know, their, the, you know, the challenges they face and, I, and my son has gone to public school and I've watched um, the challenges that the teachers face there. It's not so very different. Um, than um, what a mom faces at home. There isn't a play. The first thing to realize, I think the first cure for the mental side of this is to realize that um, there there isn't a cure. <laughs> There's no place where you can take your children where this, where the, where this would not be um, going on, where, where what is planned to happen uh, happens. Yeah, and, it, and it's, you know, the questioner says, how can we guard ourselves to make sure we're really doing a good job educating our children while not living in a constant state of self-assessment and condemnation? And I think what we do, well, I imagine homeschool moms do this from talking to them, but I know what I've done in the classroom is you have these plans, right? And you think the right. plans are going to be, as you put it, the, the cure. Right. They're going right. to be what enables you to, to, to do a good job. And then we rely so much on the plans and the plans are not going to ultimately save us. So is there a way to, you know, I mean, we have to, we still have to plan. Um, are there ways of planning that can be, can be helpful in allowing and keeping us from being fearful? Um, you know, a lot of people have planned because without the plans, there's high anxiety. The plan diminishes the anxiety. So I guess my question for you is, is there a way, um, are there some principles that can sort of inform the way we plan or the way we prepare ourselves and our students that can help um, diminish the anxiety that often comes with teaching? Yeah, I think that if we built, if we, I think if we were more realistic about our plans and the and one way we might do this is to build in um, some margins, like maybe only plan four days a week. And maybe it'll take you five days a week to get through those four days, but now you've built in um, a buffer mm, and yeah. you feel successful. You don't feel like a failure at the end of the week because I'm going to tell freedom. you there's hard. Yeah. There's hardly been a week in my life of homeschool planning that I didn't have to transfer some things over to the next week. You know, I had, had to, and, and that's why the plotting, um, is so important um, and to realize that um, we're just going to do as much as we can today. And then to, we're going to pick up where we left off and tomorrow and we're going to do some more. And each day we're going to slowly um, keep moving um, through this atmosphere and discipline in life. And I, I do think if we think of it as an atmosphere, discipline in life and not as a plan, then we are going to have um, a little more freedom not to be a slave to our plans. Do you think that the, do you think that the idea that, you know, education is about, well, do you think the plans, this was not a pre-prepared question. <laughs> do you think that the <laughs> plans um, can sometimes cause us to sort of implicitly think of education 
as too much about getting just getting these things done or getting checklists done as opposed to education, especially in the home, is about cultivating in that atmosphere. Do you think that the plans can can sort of without us meaning to cause us to operate yeah. that way? Absolutely. I think that we over plan. Um, we have because we, we want so much. We hear so much. We want to do so much. And yet, and the very thing we're trying to do, we're undercutting our, not just our, our, our well-being, but we're actually undercutting the education of our children because we are not, that we have not built in the time that they need to absorb and process things because we're just on this train that has to keep going and and that's why school is so appealing it seems like it's the train that just keeps on moving um whereas you know at home the train keeps getting interrupted and we have to stop periodically and and we have you know go do the laundry switch the laundry around Mm -hmm. all these things that come up in a home can keep us um so i do think and and this is where i think it's so 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 sad that the Charlotte Mason community has become really what you almost say overrun with riches. So much out there, so many good ideas. Um, this person does, you know, nature notebooks beautifully. And this person, are, uh, and we, you know, is doing this, these wonderful Swedish drill exercises. And this family is singing with um beautiful harmonies and we and all those things are wonderful wonderful things Mm -hmm. but then we try to have our homeschools include all of them all the time and and they just can't bear the weight of that it just you it they they genuinely cannot bear the weight of so many wonderful things Mm -hmm. and so we have to drop back and and actually let go of some things, which is so hard to do. I struggled with that. Even this year, I know the plans that I have for my student are overly ambitious. And yet when I go to look at my schedule, I'm like, well, I don't want to take out that. No, I don't want to take out that. I don't want to take out that. But as the day comes and we're going from thing to thing, I'm going to have a choice. I'm either going to stress my student out by pushing him to finish something really quickly so we can get on to the next thing. Or I'm going to drop those things off at the time because I realize that he cannot get the quality out of what he is doing if I'm pushing him to get on to the next thing. And so that's the, that's the tension. I've caught myself before, you know, when teaching literature, um, you know, you, you when you get the freedom to sort of uh, at least partially curate your own curriculum you tend to put in the things that you love a lot and so yeah. i've caught myself be reading one book and we'll be going a little bit through it and i'll look and, and i'll be thinking oh no christmas break's coming up or oh shoot the standardized testing is coming up or whatever so i and i know that i want to get to this other book that i really love and i really want them to read it so then we start pushing our way through this other book that i really love and then that yes. keeps them <laughs> from loving it and so it's, it's just this ironic cycle of you know sabotage self-sabotage so do you think then that what we need to do is find a way to, um, you know, to, uh, to kind of recognize, okay, we love all these different things. These are all, whether it's a subject, um, a book, um, or a resource, these are amazing things. They're beautiful things. They're things that we would love to include. But then is the goal that we, we need to distill, that, distill things down to just what is most essential? Well, I think 
Or is that putting too fine a point on it? Yeah, I think it's. I think that we need to start with the essentials, obviously, and we don't want to leave out all what what some people call the riches. We we want to think of the riches as essential. So I don't want to say that, but mm, at the yeah. same time, maybe. I see what you're saying, yeah. But we maybe want to realize that um, here we have this whole group of riches, and maybe we can only pick. You know, we don't get to have five courses of dessert. We have to choose. Um, our meal has to be varied. And so uh, maybe we can't do singing and nature notebook and um, Swedish drill and uh, uh, paper sloyd. Maybe we, something has to give. Something definitely has to give. I can tell you that if you don't want to go completely insane. Um, yeah, if you don't I want to feel some, frantic. Right. And I've seen some people take the concept of short lessons down to, to, to try to include everything to, to become so short where they're, we're going to do this for five minutes. We're going to do this for five minutes. And, and, and it becomes a little, then you're rushing through those five minutes um, in order. And I, really, you can't bear up under that. Eventually, you'll crash. Your home school will crash. It's not restful to go from one thing to the other. Just as yeah. much as to try to do too many things. Right. So you end up with, um, you know, I, I, I'm in the middle of um, writing something right now. And one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again in my mind is if you want all or nothing, you get nothing. That's what Edith Schaefer said. And I think this is here, this is the, the, getting back to the basic question of how to handle all this fear and anxiety is that we have to accept the fact that we're not going to have it all. Um, we're going to have we're going to have to accept our, the limitations of our students. I happen to think that dyslexic children, um, that the homeschool environment is a huge plus for those children because mom is there to read to them and, and they aren't missing out. They're not behind because they're still uh, moving forward with this great curriculum. Um, like if they're, especially if like, say they're using Ambleside online, they can't read this themselves because it's too difficult, but they can certainly understand it when their mom reads it. And that's a huge benefit to children who might traditionally be considered uh, learning disabled. Uh, they get to the other end of their graduation. They still might not. They still might not do that great on their standardized testing. It's still they still may be weak in the skills that we test um, that are standardized. But these children are going to be far advanced. To, to where their counterparts are, and many times they're going to be well, they're going to be advanced in their ability to go through college classes. Sure, they may not be able to test well, but when they get into the class, they're going to be in, to interact with ideas. They're, they're, these are children who have been handed ideas, have been interacting with them, and are able to, to carry that over to college, and often they do very well in college. Um, by the time that comes around. So, and I, I, I say that from experience, like you always say, David, it's not, um, I, this is all anecdotal, but oh. I have seen <laughs> enough of that, that um, in the last book I read <laughs> on um, all these studies, it was like, we did a study, we're, we manipulated these people, and this is what we found. I'm like, well, it sounds like they had like five people. So yeah. I think that we could stand on our experience. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you think that the, so the person in the, in the question talked about 
um, she used the words frantic and fear-driven. Mm. Do you think that the franticness comes from the fear or the fear comes from the franticness? I mean, or am I, mm. I mean, is that even... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they feed off of each other. I'm sure that once you're afraid, you're frantic. And then once you're frantic, you're afraid. I think the key is, once again, to just be um, faithful day by day and and to accept your limitations. But, But there are moms who... Who are superheroes? Well, there are superhero moms, but there's there there are people who maybe need to be a little more disciplined. So I don't want to be like, oh yeah, she, it's all going to work out. You just all you have to do is just be happy, and everything will work out. You do as a homeschooling mom. There is a certain amount of discipline that goes into being a homeschooling mom, and, and but that discipline should not be an heroic effort. It should be the normal discipline of a human being going through their day um if if as long as you're not um but but if you're not able to reach that discipline that normal discipline that humans need to thrive then then you should um work on those things but most homeschooling moms are not um lazy um (laughs) you know they're they're sure we do all have times when we are mentally fatigued and we just can't you know there is a time to stop homeschooling for a month and regroup that happens and 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 it's perfectly normal that does not mean you're not disciplined there are times when you have morning sickness and you're just not going to get through a lot you you can if you're faithful during the times when you do feel well and when you're not mentally fatigued then your life can bear up and your homeschool can bear up under those times when 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 you when when things come crashing down you you have extra stress for whatever reason Um, but but there is a sense of being faithful to 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 plug away at it and also accept when you can hmm. do you so there's this um the other part of this question the other two words that stuck out to me were self-assessment well i will mm. call that a hyphenated word and condemnation so you're mm. assessing your what's the job that you've done then you find that you are lacking and thus begin to think about yourself you begin to condemn yourself and the job that you're doing did you yeah was that without being you know too personal here was that something that you experienced well yeah i mean i definitely think there was always this fear of not living up to you know my ideals mm-hmm. and, and in the end in some ways i didn't i mean let's let's just look on the other side of it did I live up to my ideals that I had no I did not <laughs> yeah. um, I I fell short as I was going to do and and that's what I've come to now and this is where the condemnation is 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 I am not under condemnation for falling short of my my own ideals the ideals that I had for my homeschool um, um, do I wish I hadn't fallen short? Sure. But, um, I did. So, um, I, you know, I, I look at my kids and I'm pretty content that they're all, uh, productive members of, of the culture and they're very, they're very, you know, they own houses, they have jobs, they, you know, all the things that people want to see they have. Um, and, and they're, and they're hardworking people who, who, um, 
frankly kind of impressive when you talk to them so I mean it whether I get credit for that which I probably don't or or whether they just were were given the opportunity on their own to blossom and grow they did do that and, and how you measure that is, is and maybe that's where moms need to get away from the whole assessment assessment we don't we we know that standardized testing for young children over the course of every year is is a negative that that leads to um, poor poor outcomes really um, but we but do we know that for ourselves that um, that not all of our um, most of our children are quite ordinary um, they're just regular children. They're not. Um, they're not geniuses. Uh, my or, dad used or to really tease bad. me. Yeah, or or horrible. That's yeah. exactly right. So my dad used to tease me that I always said, "Oh, this, when I'd have a new baby, I'd be, like, oh, he's really above average. This baby is something else." And I did. I I thought that about all my children, and I still do. But and the and the, the truth is that they're they're just regular humans that um, just like me and. Um, yeah, and and so are your so are every other mom's children out there. Yeah, well, I think that you know you said is it to to your credit that your kids turned out well? It's probably partly, but also I think the thing that um and and your husband's got to give some credit to your husband. Yes, yes, um, definitely. But also, you know, we need to remember that you know our children are not just ours, right? Like mm. if we make a mistake, we're not the only ones who have made plans for them and we're not the only ones who are watching out for them. Um, and you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about here, mm. and my dad talks a lot about it is the idea of, um, re- repentance and prayer. Mm. And as parents and teachers, you know, when we make a mistake, we need to repent and be prayerful and try to do better. But we also need to remember that just because, you know, we make a mistake doesn't mean that everything it's the end for them. Right. Like, God's right. been watching out for right. them. We're here, you know, as we place our so we're not God. So we we placed ourselves as God over their lives in our minds. And so when yeah. things fall apart, exactly. we don't realize we weren't holding the whole thing up anyway. Yes, we, yeah, exactly. we let we fell, we let things down, but something else is actually holding the structure up. Thank goodness, thank the Lord. <laughs> um, and it's not us. So yeah, it's our right. mistakes are not gonna cause our chil- you know, our children to yeah crumble (laughs) yeah especially as we you know when we when we desire to do well and i think and i do i'm glad you brought up the idea of prayer and repentance because um because um you know it is true that education is repentance and and so that means that when we are educating our children there is going to be a good amount of of repentance each year on each day as we get up to go about it. Okay, here's what I did wrong yesterday. Here's what they didn't do right. Here's what they don't know. We all need to kind of repent in a kind of overarching theme and get up today and learn again. And and, and I think that's true. And I do think that um, we underestimate the value of prayer in the lives of our children and as you lose control of them as they grow up, you, you, you know, prayer becomes a bigger part of your life because while you think you're in control, you don't think of prayer as much. But once you realize you are, it's out of your control, then you're very, very, um, your next recourse is to pray and to yeah. seek God. And, and that turns out to be awesome because God is, um, 
effective. And he, what he does does work. And um, it's so yes. much better that way. His plans are actually um, gonna gonna. Be yeah, they come to pass. Yeah. They actually work out the way you, the way. You know, um, sorry. The, the the internet is just the worst thing for these things. I thought it was yeah. just this long silence there, and you were still talking. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were talking about for making you feel bad about yourself, like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, so my friend Josh Gibbs, he, we just published a book by him called How to Be Unlucky, Reflections on the Pursuit of Virtue. And one of the big themes of this book that I really like is the idea that um, as teachers, it's a very valuable thing for us to be um, open, I guess, repentant before our students to show them that, you know, we don't always have all the answers and that sometimes we do make mistakes. And that part of the relationship between a student and a teacher, um, a part of a healthy relationship is when the teacher can say, oh, I got that wrong. Or, mm -hmm. you know, let's take a step back and let's say, I taught this poorly. You know, th mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of value in saying, you know what? I can see that you don't, you don't understand what I'm trying to say here. You didn't get this. That's not your fault. That's my fault. Let's take a step back and let's... Let's work on that some more. And it doesn't have to be something where, you know, it's not, it's not this huge flaw in all of your homeschooling or all of your plans. And it's not this big flaw in your students. It's just the nature of learning. Sometimes things take longer than you expect. And so if you just, if you're realistic about it, you take a step back and you say, let's pause, let's keep working on this. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big deal. And I think sometimes when we don't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, it becomes such a big failure. Sometimes it's not a failure. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the process of learning. Right. And I think that's where you see it in your students and then you see it in yourself where people don't want to learn something. They want to already know it. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So or, some we, or sometimes we don't want to teach something. We want our kids to already know it. Yes. But it's very hard when, to go to a child and say, you can love math and they don't love it. And the only reason they don't love it is because they don't know it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. so part of, I guess, the art of teaching is to help the child overcome that and say, mm. oh, I can love, or and we were talking about grammar on another podcast where, you know, you can love this. Um, um, you don't love it because you don't know it. But so many times I, you see kids get almost angry or frustrated yeah, because they yeah. get to, they get to that point where they don't know. And that's where they're supposed to be. If they're in, at being educated, that's where we're all supposed to be. Where is that point where we don't know? Mm -hmm. And that should be a great point. We should all embrace yeah. that. Yeah. And be happy. Oh, now I know what I need to know. Now I know yeah. where, where yeah. I, what, what way to go. But instead, we, um, um, you know, we see that frustration and anger that comes up or, or giving up. The, 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 the giving up happens frequently where, you know, I'm not even, I'm not going to do this. It's too hard. I don't know it. Well, you don't know it. You've never learned it. And, and I think that when, we get to a point where we recognize something that either that that maybe as a as a school as a classroom or as a group or whatever as a family whatever it is that you don't when you get to a point where you recognize that you don't know something well we can we can make it look like okay we've failed and we don't know something and so then that's where this frustration comes in or we can color that so to speak in a way for our students that as an opportunity like this is a beautiful thing. We now know what we need to know. And so we can right. we can work towards that. We have a goal and we can bit by bit get to that goal. Yeah. So it all works. I mean, it works both ways with the, the parent who's planning and the student 
who's learning. Um, it all comes into play basically because we're all humans and we have the same frustrations and weaknesses. And our students, if we feel like we're condemning ourselves, our students are condemning themselves too. Yes. You know, they're judging themselves for the quality of the things that they're doing, especially as they get older, right? And they're right. feeling every failure. Right. You know, everything they don't know they're feeling as a failure. That's sort of one of the things that's natural about schooling, but it's also a problem. And that's where the atmosphere that we're cultivating really matters. Yeah, and I've noticed this, and I'm writing a little bit about this, but pretty much anybody you talk to says they want to educate their children differently than they were educated. Because when they get to the end of their education, they have all these holes. Well, we live in a massive world of, of knowledge and information, and there's just no way to learn it all in those yeah, 12 years that we have. So we all come out of it with holes. And whatever, whenever we come up with a hole, we're so humiliated. Yeah, we feel it really profoundly. Yeah, that we just get mad at the people who taught us instead of yeah. thinking... My kid's not going to have that hole. No matter yeah, what else I do, they're right. not going to have that hole. <laughs> yeah, so they have these other gaping holes, um, but they don't have the hole that you had. So it, it I, I found that to be really fascinating watching people. Um, um, and, and this is where Charlotte Mason is so right, where she says that all education is self-education. Um, it yeah. wasn't the system that failed you. Uh, you really weren't failed in any way. It's just you're now up to you to find out what you need to know and, and learn it um, because nobody was, is able to, for, 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 you know, we often don't know what we're preparing for because we don't know the future. And I will say this, mm -hmm. the, the world of 1980, when I started having children in 1984 is so, I could not have predicted the world we live in today. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't have predicted yeah. it even a tiny bit. I, I just, it, it, it's, it's a mystery how we got here in my mind, you know, what in the world is this? How could, but there wasn't a school on earth that was preparing their children for this culture mm -hmm. that we live in now yeah. because nobody knew. And so we all are, this is where the liberal arts and a wide generous curriculum is so much more important than technical skills or learning, you know, things that, well, that will fit into where we are right now because we don't, we don't know the future. We don't know, mm. um, we the only thing we really know now is the thing that we're doing today, whether it's Instagram or what Snapchat is not going to be the thing we're doing tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. You know, I think you mentioned the idea that um, the the idea of um, education being, you know, a lifetime thing, and I think that if we focus on less on I mean, we got to teach them very specific things. There are specific skills and specific knowledge we need sure. to teach. But if we can also teach our kids to and prepare them to be lifelong learners, if we can teach them to value asking questions, to teach them the kind of questions to ask, to see what think gaps as opportunities, things like that, then you know, I think we'll have done a good job even if we don't finish the textbook. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think we very rarely do finish a textbook. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was just yeah, who somebody... Finished text, who finishes textbooks? I actually finished the textbooks a lot of times, but it took me, you know, three two years, years yeah. instead yeah. of one year, three years, yeah. So it might take a while, but just to to just keep getting up in the morning, brush yourself off and keep going um, is, is, is most of the battle. You know, it strikes me. There's a big difference between finishing a textbook and finishing a textbook so you can get to the next one sooner. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, what you just described, you spent two years on a textbook. So you were patient with it and you let it be a resource that fit into the atmosphere that you were cultivating as opposed to trying to finish a textbook because you need to get to the next textbook. And those are two very different things. Yeah, I think I think that is part of the problem is that we're rushing through material um, because we want to finish it, not because we actually want to learn it. Mm. And yeah. I think that is part of the frustration when we get to high school and we feel this um, immense pressure to Time. have, yeah, take yeah. biology and um, we're supposed to learn this much biology in this amount of time. Well, I notice, you know, my son's class in, in a public school, they didn't get through even a quarter hardly. I mean, they may, must, may have gotten through half the textbook. They didn't come anywhere near getting through the entire textbook. And yet, you know, they, they were, so, so who, who knows biology? Now, I know there are probably really good private schools that actually get through the textbook and, and the kids are challenged a little more and, and they do learn, um, more but um maybe it, yeah or or they memorize more for a short period of time let's <laughs> yeah, put it that yeah. way um yeah. but but it definitely is not um finishing a textbook is not actually learning the material either hmm. well um and yeah you brought the seven liberal arts that's where the quadrivium and the, the seven liberal arts and the quadrivium and um sort of the traditional classical approaches can be valuable guides as far as how you choose what to study and what you're focusing on and what you mm -hmm. kind of view as essential. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah. And I think they can help us to, to push away all the confusion of, of our current um, educational thing yeah, to say, Oh, this has been important for these thousands of years and it's still important. Yeah. And it's not massive amounts of stuff. It's these seven liberal arts. Hmm. Um, after that, we can add to it, but but this is the basic of what an educated person knows. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thank you again for bringing your uh, your wisdom and your experience to to this question. I hopefully it was helpful for for people who are feeling. I think I imagine and everybody who teaches feels this at at some time, as we kind of said at the top. It's not like this isn't happening yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 hard it's hard to see um, moms downcast and and know that they're they're really trying to do their very best and uh, they they just don't feel encouraged really. Yeah. Do you have any um, recommended resources for, for this topic that off the top of your head that we could put in the show notes for people? Um, boy, I didn't think about this ahead of time. Yeah, I didn't but, ask you that um, one ahead of time. Yeah, let me think. Um, well, I think that any, um, I think that any book that um, is spiritually uplifting, like mom, things that are for mom's own benefit, her own growth as a person, can really, really help her to stay focused on um, on herself as a person not just the kids is very important at this stage in time because she can often get lost in 
the plans and the curriculum mm. and not really have her own personal growth going on, which sounds, when I say this, it makes it sound like, and now on top of all that, you need to add this, but really you would really need to add that first. You mm. really need to make sure that you're being fed by some source, mm. um, you know, most especially the Bible. Um, and then, you know, there's some other, there's some really good books about, um, liturgy and the liturgy of um of of moms and the liturgy of of just the ordinary life the whole idea that the way we go about our days um matter whether whether it's doing something glorious like making homeschooling plans which always you always feel so good when you make those plans or something mundane like taking out the garbage um how all of all of those things matter and all of those things work together not just um but anyway i'm i'm trying to think of the i'm reading a book and i can't think of the name of it i think it's called seeking god and it's by esther De dewall it is such a lovely little book on um on ordering our days and and it's not specifically for mothers but it is about um um the the benedictine kind of lifestyle as applied to real life and not um living in some monastery and I, i'm really enjoying that book but that's esther dewall and she has many books on this subject and i'm this is just the first one i've read hmm. well um we'll wrap it up there with again thank you for for answering this question, for joining me for the show. Um, thank you for sending in the questions to people who have been doing that. If you have a question you'd like us to cover on a future episode, you can email uh, either Cindy or I, Cindy or me. Uh, I am at david at sociainstitute.com and Cindy is at cindy at ordo-amoris.com. That's right, right? Did I remember that correctly? That is right. There All you right. go. Um, we'll try to get to you know, as many questions over the weeks as we can. Um, if you want to hear more from Cindy, you can head over to the Patreon uh, account, patreon slash, uh, dot com slash Mason Jar, I guess. And you can listen to her reading and commenting on Charlotte Mason's book themselves in five to 15 minute, uh, you know, approximately that, five to 15 minute increments at a time. Um, so again, that's patreon.com slash Mason Jar. And I guess that's it. Cindy, any final thoughts? No, I think that's good. <laughs> all right. Well, for Cindy Rollins, for all of us here at the Cersei Institute, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening to The Mason Jar, and we'll talk to you next time.